Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. Well, if you would be turning to Hebrews chapter 5, and as you're turning there, uh, we'll be dismissing our children to our uh, children's class that will be available uh, just in the back room there. So if there are any children participating in that, you can head back with our volunteers who will be waiting for you uh, back in that room. Also, while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through 14, um, I failed to mention during the announcement uh, uh, time this morning that uh, next week we'll have the privilege of uh, welcoming uh, four new members into our body. And so we're always excited about that when the Lord adds to our numbers. We'll be able to read our covenant out loud together, remind ourselves of the commitment we make to one another as we bring them into membership. So just wanted to let everyone uh, be aware of that happening next Sunday. Well, as I mentioned this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, as we continue to make our way through Hebrews and as we have worked through uh, chapter 5. So uh, I'll read our passage for us and then take a moment to pray for us and to pray for the Lord's help as we come before the truth of his word. So Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray every week, we once again plead with you to be at work among us through the, truth of, uh, through the truth of your word. Father, we we know this is something that you have promised to us, and so we are simply praying and asking you to do that which you have already promised to do, that you would be at work through the truth of your word among your people by the power of your spirit that you have sent to dwell within us and among us. Father, there is a weightiness to this passage and uh, the passages to come, another another warning section of Hebrews. And so, Father, I pray that we would be challenged, that we would be, and Father, I pray that this morning, even as we look at your word together, that you would be accomplishing that very reality, that you would be pressing us toward maturity in Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom as a church and as elders to, to lead our church toward maturity so that we would not be uh, in danger of spiritual immaturity and, and the consequences that fall out from that as we're going to see this morning. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me, that you would guide my words, that you would allow me to only speak what is true of you and true of your word. And I pray that you would change us, that as you work within us, we would become more and more like Christ, that we would grow in our Christ-likeness, that we would grow in our relationship to him, and that we would grow in our spiritual maturity this morning. So, Father, we pray that you would get all the glory and that you would be at work among us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There are uh, dangerous consequences to spiritual immaturity. Now that's been clear throughout the book of Hebrews, or I should say it's been implied up to this point in the book of Hebrews, but becomes crystal clear in our passage this morning. Even in these first five chapters of Hebrews, there have been multiple what we've called warning passages given to us time after time. For, for example, uh, in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 through 14, the author of Hebrews tells us that we must take care lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart, right? That's a significant warning. That can happen to you. It can happen to me. So we have to take care to be sure that that doesn't happen. And then he commands us, calls us to therefore exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? That's a, that's a clear warning against spiritual immaturity. If you are not pursuing Christ and you are in danger of your heart being hardened, you're in danger of being led astray and your heart being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a command there in chapter 12 that we be sure by God's grace that we don't allow that to happen to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so though it's been hinted at throughout Hebrews, now as we arrive in uh, at the end of chapter 5 and verses 11 through 14, it becomes really clear that the author had these specific concerns for the people he was writing to. That they were not where they ought to have been in their walk with Christ. There was something going on. They were not as mature as they ought to have been. They were, it seems, allowing their hearts to become hardened to God's truth. They were flirting with disaster. And so there's a significant warning that's going to continue on as we move into chapter 6 in the weeks to come. But what he's doing here in verses 11 through 14 is already laying out that there are serious consequences to this kind of image about what kind of spiritual maturity the author of Hebrews is talking about. Because I think there are at least two basic kind of main categories of spiritual maturity. And I, I want to be sure we understand that he's talking about one and not the other. Okay, so... So there's a spiritual immaturity that happens when someone is a new Christian, right? They, they've just come to faith in Christ and there's a mountain of things they don't know, right? There's, that's spiritual immaturity. But that's a consequence of how much time has passed, right? They haven't been a Christian for very long. They haven't had time to learn a lot. They haven't had time to be discipled. And so there's an immaturity that exists by virtue of how much time has not yet passed, but typically, Lord willing, if that's the case, they have a hunger to learn more. They're, they're still pursuing Christ. They're still running after him. That, that's, not, that's not the person that the author of Hebrews is talking about here. No, the author of Hebrews is talking about someone who has been a Christian for a significant period of time. And yet, they're still not at the level of maturity they ought to be. You, you can see that there in verse 12, right? He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, right? So, so time has passed, enough time for them to have been taught, for them to have been discipled. They, they ought to be teachers by now, but they're not. It is those people that the author of Hebrew has some, the author of Hebrews has some rather harsh words for. 
right? So that's why it's important we understand what category he's talking about. Because if you think he's talking to new Christians, that, he comes across as really mean-spirited and impatient, right? <laughs> but that, that's not who he's addressing. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to those who have been Christians for a long time and ought to be in a different place than they are. You see, the author of Hebrews here is not concerned about stepping on people's toes. In fact, he's not stepping on toes. He's taking his foot and stomping on toes, right? He is stomping on feet with what he has to say here. I mean, I, I can't imagine a pastor saying to a group of people what the author of Hebrews is saying to this group of people here, right? These are harsh words, right? Look, look at what he says. He says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, He's basically saying, look, if you can't understand what I'm about to teach you, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Right? That's an astonishing thing to say to a group of people. But that's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, uh, there in, uh, uh, sorry, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That, that phrase, basic principles, in the original language basically means something like the ABCs of the oracles of God. He, he's almost saying, you guys need to go back to the children's class. Right? These are. But they're said out of love. Because he's concerned about the consequences that they're going to face, the dangers they're going to be in if they don't pursue Christ and pursue maturity. He knows if they stay where they are, they are in grave danger of finding out perhaps they never trusted in Christ to begin with. And sometimes the most loving thing we can do for people is say hard things to them. And so God has some hard things to say to all of us this morning. And I pray that he gives us soft hearts to hear what he has to say in these few verses. We've seen in these first five chapters that there are serious consequences to not holding fast to the confession of our hope. And if we don't know the truth, if we're not pursuing Christ, then we are in danger of loosening our grip on that very confession and so he's warning us by laying out three dangers or three consequences of spiritual immaturity. So here are the three dangers the author gives us. I'll list them and then we'll look at them one at a time. Number one, those who are spiritually immature are cut off from the depths of God's word. They are cut off from the depths of God's word. Secondly, they cannot experience the joy of discipleship. They can't experience the joy of discipleship. And then finally, they are vulnerable to false teaching. They're vulnerable to false teaching. So let's look at the first one. They are cut off from the depths of God's word. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. 
Now, now think about all that the author of Hebrews has been saying up to this point, right? We've been, we've been just meditating on soaking in the glories of Christ in the first five chapters, right? That he's more glorious than the angels because he has existed for all time and, and all things were created through him, including these majestic, powerful angels. Jesus Christ himself created them. He rules over them. They serve him. He is greater than them because there has never been a time when he was not. He is the eternal son of God. He is the glorious one. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron over and over and over again. We've just soaked in the glories of Christ and and it feels like the author is reaching this crescendo in chapter 5 talking about Jesus being our great high priest. You see there in verse 10 after the order of Melchizedek and he's ready to explode with truth upon the Hebrew people. But he has to stop because they're not ready to hear it. Right? He's like, I've got a lot to say about this. Now, he's going to say it. We're going to spend the next like five chapters listening to him say what he needs to say about Jesus, our great high priest. And it's going to be a glorious run of weeks as we struggle through those passages together. But right now, he wants to lay down a warning to the Hebrews, and he wants to lay down the warning to us that he doesn't actually think they're quite ready to handle the breadth, meaning the length of what he has to say about this or even the depth of what he has to say about it, which is why he says it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain because you're, you're dull of hearing. It's not necessarily simply because it's difficult, though in some respects it is, but he says it's difficult because they're dull of hearing. Dullness, the, the word literally means laziness or indifference, sluggishness. It indicates that basically he's saying, you just don't care anymore. You're lazy in your hearing. You're not really ready and prepared to hear what I have to say. And notice with me there what it says that the second half of verse 11, you have become dull of hearing. They haven't always been dull of hearing. Something happened, right? He's saying something happened. After you came to Christ, you were doing well, and something has happened. You have become dull of hearing. You, you were okay. Now you became dull of hearing, and you still continue with that dullness of hearing. You have become this way. So what is it that happened to the Hebrews that made them dull of hearing? Well, I think we find one hint in 1 Corinthians 3. So as the author of Hebrews continues in 11 through 14, he says that these Hebrew Christians, they're dull of hearing, and that he makes this comparison between infants who need milk and mature people who need solid food. And there's another place in Scripture where the Bible uses that analogy, and it's what Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And listen to what Paul says about not being able to address the Corinthians as spiritual people. It's very similar language to what the author of Hebrews says here. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And so I think that hints and tells us that this spiritual dullness, this dullness of hearing, was not simply an indifference or laziness. It was an indifference and laziness brought on by pursuit of sin. They were pursuing the flesh. And that seems to be clear and hinted at again in verse 14 where it says that they need to be trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. It seems that the Hebrews had given up on holiness. They'd given up on pursuing obedience to Christ. And because of their diving into sin, they had become dull of hearing. This is the warning that we were given in chapter 3, that you can be hardened by what? The deceitfulness of sin. That's what can happen to you. When you pursue sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit, your heart can become hardened, and you can become dull of hearing. All right, it's similar to what Peter talks about, a warning for husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's a weighty warning, husbands. That the way you treat your wives, if you honor as a weaker vessel, because she's an heir with you of the grace of life, your, your prayers can be hindered. Your sin can grieve the Holy Spirit. The deceitfulness of sin can harden your heart. It can cause dull hearing. It can hinder your prayers. You see, this is what the Hebrew Christians seem to have been doing. They were pursuing disobedience to Christ. They were indifferent to the sin patterns in their life. And so it was creating a dull hearing within them. And then that dull hearing cut them off from the glorious depths of the truth of God's word that the author of Hebrews was ready to explode upon them, right? He was ready to share it with them, but they weren't ready because of the sin they were letting fester in their lives. The very truth that's meant to bring joy to our souls and fill us with hope and faith. Sin, the pursuit of sin, can cut us off from it and make us unable to hear it. So listen, this is a reminder to do what we, by God's grace, Lord willing, seek to do every Sunday, which is confess our sins. Repent of our sins, turn to Christ for forgiveness, to not let them fester, to not sit in them, to not continue in them, because that's a dangerous downward spiral to be called in, friends. When you sin and leave them unrepented and unconfessed, and your heart becomes a little harder, your hearing becomes a little duller, your prayer life gets a little more hindered. And then you turn to more sin and more sin and more sin. Which is why, by the way, we need each other. (laughs) Right? Exhort one another. Gather every week. Call each other out of the darkness and into the light. Confess your sins together. It's why we need each other so that we don't get caught in this downward spiral. You see, the author of Hebrews has so much more to say to them. 
Verse 10, he said, look, God designated Jesus a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There are depths that he's getting ready to explore, theological truths that are meant to be an anchor to our soul and help us hold fast our confession to the very end. And yet it's going to be too difficult, he thinks, perhaps, for him to dive into with them. So I would say, in fact, based on this passage, that if you have an indifference to or lack of desire to sit and listen to the truth of God's word being taught, it may be a symptom in your life that sin has taken hold of your heart. It's what the author is saying to us this morning. So if you find yourself, if you find it difficult to sit, to listen, to ponder on deep theological truths, on the glories of God's word, then you need to probe your heart and see what sinful things you are pursuing and left unrepented and unconfessed. Because I don't want any of you to be cut off from the glorious depths of God's word. I don't want any of your hearing to become dull because you're pursuing worldly pleasures instead of God's glorious truth. Listen, I can think of no better description of how we ought to love and relate to learning God's truth than a beautiful but lengthy quote. I I rarely read lengthy quotes, but I'm going to make an exception this morning, okay? There's a glorious lengthy quote from Charles Spurgeon that J.I. Packer gives at the beginning of the Christian classic Knowing God, which by the way, if you've never read Knowing God, it's, I cannot recommend it enough to you. I go through it with my children before uh, uh, they're baptized. We go through it together. It's a book I give to everyone. It's a book I have sitting in my seat this morning to give to Ian before he leaves, okay? A fantastic book. But let me give you this quote from chapter one where J.I. Packer quotes Spurgeon on our need to pursue knowledge of God. And this is the knowledge I don't want any of us to be cut off from, friends. This is what Spurgeon says. Quote, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God who he calls his father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplation of the divinity, It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, in them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when it comes to this master science, finding our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's colt and with solemn explanation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. Now listen to this. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. 
The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and of him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a, ba a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which, which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to this subject that I invite you this morning. End quote. That's the glorious reality I don't want any of us to be too dull to hear. And when we pursue sin, we can cut ourselves off from the depths of God's word that are meant to satisfy our souls. We, we are in danger of cutting ourselves off off from hearing the depths of this glorious gospel that the beginning came and became a man and lived a perfect, righteous, sinless life. And by his grace to you and I, when we trust in him, he, he gives us that righteousness. He imputes it to us. We are clothed in it so that when we stand before the judgment seat of God, we are judged by his righteous life and not our sinful, wicked, rebellious life. And he died on the cross and took the wrath of God the Father for all who would trust in him on himself so that you and I would not have to face the wrath that we fully deserve for our sins. And he gloriously rose from the grave so that we too could one day join him in his resurrection and live forever in the new heavens and the new earth in our glorified bodies, full of satisfaction of soul, worshiping him for all eternity, right? These are the glorious truths that I don't want any of you to be cut off from, that we need to meditate on daily and weekly together. And this is the warning that the author is giving. There's so much more to know about Jesus as our great high priest. Let's not allow sin to get in the way, right? May Christ be so glorious that we are unwilling to pursue sin because of the danger of keeping us from knowing more of him. That's what the author is warning us of. But now let's look at the second danger. The second danger. First danger can cut us off from the knowledge of God. Second danger, you cannot experience the joy of one-to-one -one discipleship. Look there with me at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So again, we're reminded that Enough time has passed. They, they should be mature Christians by now, but they're not, seemingly because they're pursuing sin. And so they haven't arrived at the place they ought to be. And here's what's fascinating. This letter was not written to the leaders of the local church. Now, why is that important? Because the author is saying to every single Christian in this church, that they ought to be teachers. 
Now, he does not mean that everyone must have a formal role of being a teacher, right? He's not saying that every person must be gifted and equipped to teach a Bible study or to stand up here and preach on Sunday morning. That, that's not what he means. But he does mean every Christian should be mature enough to walk alongside a new believer, to walk along someone who hasn't been a Christian as long as you have, and teach them something about God's word. That's what he's saying to the Hebrews. That's what he's saying to us. We ought to have been teachers, but instead of that, instead of being those who can disciple others, instead of teaching others, instead of having arrived at that point, instead of that, he's now having to revert again to the Hebrews and having to teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Again, this is kind of like he's saying, I've got to teach you again the ABCs of the Christian faith, what you should already know. We're having to return to again because you're not pursuing obedience to Christ with your life. Now, I love this verse and the implications that it has for the local church. Because what it says to me and what it's saying to us this morning, that every single person in this room is capable of becoming a disciple-making Christian. Right? We see that also Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Paul's addressing the women of the church, well, he's talking to Titus about the women of the church, and this is what he tells Titus. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. Now, notice with me, he doesn't say a few select older women. Now, what does he say? All the older women, faith. Right, how to love their husbands. He goes on and tells what he's talking about. You see, all of us ought to be, if we've been Christians for a while, able to sit down with someone who hasn't been a Christian as long as we have or someone who's new in the faith and walk through them through a book of the Bible with them. Right? Now, by the way, it doesn't mean you have to know the answer to every question. I don't know the answer to every question when I meet with people. You certainly don't need to know the answer to every question, but it means that you know maybe a little more than they do, right? I, I did not grow up playing soccer. I knew nothing about soccer. I played basketball growing up, right? And I watched football. Those are the two sports I knew. But my kids coming up when they were younger wanted to play soccer. And, and I didn't want to have to take them to practice five nights a week because we have lots of kids. And so I said, I'm going to coach and I'm going to put all their practices on one night of the week so that I can control our family schedule. But I knew not one thing about soccer. But you know what? I knew more than those kids knew about soccer. And as long as I knew more than they knew, I, so I'm not going to help them. I could help them grow in their knowledge and understanding of how to play soccer. So I'm not saying that to be a teacher of God's word, to disciple another believer, that you have to know the answer to every question. I'm just saying you need to know more than they do, just a little bit more, right? So that you can walk through God's word together with them. And we're all capable of doing that, right? That's what he says to us. We all ought to be teachers if you've been in the faith for a while, if you've been a believer for a while. You have a role to disciple other Christians in this church, Listen, that, that should be the goal. That should be what you're aiming toward, right? I want to grow in the faith in such a way that I'm able to disciple other believers. 
That's our goal as elders for you. We, we want to we wanna organize the life of our church in such a way that through, through Bible studies, through, through life groups, through other opportunities, that you can grow in your faith so that, as the last phrase of our mission statement says, so that we may present all mature in Christ. Right? That's what we want to do. That's what we want you to... When you meet someone who may be new to the faith, it is so encouraging to sit down and talk with them about God's word because their hunger is contagious. And you'll find yourself more challenged maybe than they are. And they're gonna ask insightful questions because they're gonna see things in a new way or a way you don't remember seeing it that way. And they're gonna ask you questions. You're gonna to have to go digging for answers. And as you meet with them and disciple them, you're gonna find yourself growing leaps and bounds in your understanding of God's word. It will motivate you to pursue Christ. You see, that's the beauty of discipleship. It's not just for the person you're trying to teach. It's also for the sake of your own soul and for your own heart. Right? It keeps you pursuing Christ together with them. And when you're indifferent to growing in Christ, when you're pursuing sin instead of growing in Christ, you're missing out on that glorious experience. You're missing out on that joy. You're missing out on that opportunity to grow in your own faith by spending time with others that you can teach and disciple. And by the way, I just want to even make this clear. You can meet with someone to talk about God's Word together and lean on each other and ask each other questions. There doesn't have to be a hierarchy or a pecking order to who's the more mature one in the group, right? You can just meet and talk together. That, that's what ought to be happening among us. So, yes, the author of Hebrews is rebuking those who have been Christians for a long time, but are not yet to some degree teachers of other Christians. And I don't want to soften that blow this morning. It's a warning we all need to hear. That if we're walking with Christ, we ought to at some point arrive at a point where we can be someone who leads others in the faith. It can be informal, but whatever mechanism it may be, where we can lead others in the faith. But I also want to acknowledge that maybe some of you I've never been in a church where the leadership pursued that goal for its members. So I just want you to know that that's, <clears throat> that that's one of the goals of the elders of this church. We want everyone here to be mature in Christ. We want, we want to do our best by God's grace to equip everyone to grow in such a way so that you can be teachers of others, men and women, everyone, right? That, that's what we desire. That's what we want. That's what a healthy church looks like. And so by God's grace, as Christ's fellowship leads, we will be pursuing that worthy goal together. So danger number one, spiritual immaturity cuts you off from the depths of God's word. Danger number two, spiritual immaturity causes you to miss out on the experience and the joy of discipling others. But danger number three, it makes you vulnerable to false teaching. It makes you vulnerable to false teaching. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Well, the, the very end of verse 12 through verse 14. The author of Hebrews says, You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So I want you to see that key word there in verse 13. That those who are spiritually immature 
are like infants who have to live on milk. And look what it says. It says that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. And he says those who are mature have, uh, have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So that means that if you are spiritually immature, that you are in danger of not being able to distinguish between good and evil because you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. And that's a concern because Jesus himself told us that when the church came into being, there would be wolves and sheep's clothing among us. That there would be false teachers among us. Now, the reason Jesus said they would be wolves in sheep's clothing is to make clear that they're not going to look like wolves, <laughs> right? They're going to look like good, well-meaning people. They are deceitful, pawns of Satan sent to lead you and I astray. And if we are unskilled in the word of righteousness and unable to distinguish between good and evil— then we are going to be susceptible and vulnerable to this kind of false teaching. That's the danger of spiritual immaturity. You know, our, our family uh, loves watching animal documentaries. It's something we love. My son in particular loves it, but all of us, we enjoy it sometimes as a family to sit down and watch documentaries about nature and about animals. And without fail, the predators know their best shot of a meal is attacking the youngest animal in the group, right? They know it. They want to find the baby. They want to find the young animal, and they want to take it out because they don't want to deal with the adults. It's too dangerous. They might get hurt in the process, and so they always go after the babies. And it's really, you know, it's like it's heartbreaking to watch, right? This little uh, uh, innocent, cute baby being cut off from the parents and, and eaten. And just a few weeks ago, we were watching a documentary that was— talking about the journey of a, of a blue well, right? This huge well with its newborn calf. And they were, uh, I think, heading north in the waters. And they got to a point where uh, the well has to make a decision, or I don't know how wells make decisions, instinctual, I don't know. But some wells hug the coast, and other wells are impatient, right? And they, they're just, they're going to cut the corner and go out into the open waters of the ocean, and so the documentary is going, and it says that this, this mother with her calf that's swimming alongside her, for whatever reason, didn't hug the coast and instead uh, chose to go out among the open waters to get where they needed to go because it would be a shorter distance. But the, the risk of taking the shorter distance is that you expose yourself to predators. And so as they're out in the open water, a group of orcas or killer whales arrive, right? A pot of them. You know, the ones that are supposed to be the, the cute wells that you love, right? The ones, I'm going to date myself here, but right, the one from Free Willy, right? This, this cute big orca. And, but now I'm realizing Free Willy was sending out the like whale killer, right? He's this, sending out this evil thing into the open water. And this pot of orcas approaches this mother and her calf and brutally and sadistically separate the calf from her mother, drive her under the water so that she can't come up for breath and drown her so that they can have lunch. Predators go after the weak, the unskilled, and the immature. 
It's true in nature, and it's true in the church. Wolves in sheep's clothing know who to target. And when you're pursuing indifference to the word of God, when you're pursuing sin, when you're not pursuing maturity and instead remaining as an immature Christian, for whatever reason that may be, indifference, laziness, or sin, it puts you in grave danger of being led astray by false teaching. To be unskilled in the word of righteousness, to, to not be able to discern between good and evil puts you at risk of being led away from Jesus Christ by these wolves that seek to devour you. Now, what do we do about that? Right, what do we do about that? What steps ought we to take to develop that kind of discernment? Well, verse 14 tells us. Verse 14 says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So how can you protect yourself from being led away by false teaching, from not being able to discern truth from a lie, good from evil? Well, it says you have to be trained by constant practice. Just another way to say we need to pursue the spiritual disciplines, right? We need to be committed to reading our Bibles daily, to intaking God's Word. We, we often talk about in the church the need for you to have a plan for reading God's Word. I encourage people to read through the Bible in a year. For some of you, that may seem like too much. So, so read through the New Testament in a year. Whatever it may be, have a plan because otherwise you're going to wake up in the morning and say, I want to read my Bible today. You'll, and then you'll say, well, I don't know what to read today. And you'll flip through and maybe read a verse here or a verse there. But I'm telling you, it will change your walk with Christ if you just develop a plan, whatever that plan may be. Maybe it's you're going to take the book of Hebrews and work your way through it for two months, right? Reading one chapter a day. Just come up with a plan for reading God's word on a consistent daily basis. Doing that will be part of training yourself with constant practice. Right? Pursue the spiritual discipline of Bible reading. Pursue the spiritual discipline of memorizing God's word and hiding it in your heart. Every single week, we put on the screen at the end of the service what we call our fighter verses. Those are verses we are encouraging you to memorize, to hide in your heart, because we want you to be trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Right? The spiritual discipline of prayer, daily spending time with God, with your Father in prayer and communion with Him, confessing your sins to Him. <clears throat> These are the ways in which you can day by day be, verse 14 says, by, con uh, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I, I love that verse 14 says, by constant practice. It's not just coming here on Sunday morning though that's absolutely essential for our, our walks together. No, it's more than that, right? It's constant practice. It's the daily practice of being in God's word, of memorizing God's word, of praying. That's what we must do if we're going to pursue maturity together. And we need each other, right? Hebrews has made that clear over and over and over again. <clears throat> 
That's why later in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So one way we constantly practice and train ourselves is by faithfully encouraging one another. And one of the ways we encourage one another is by showing up each week, right? By showing up and developing relationships and speaking truth into each other's lives. By being a part of a small group, a life group, and, and even there praying for each other and getting to know each other, right? We, we need each other and we need individual pursuit of Christ and we need corporate pursuit of Christ together so that we can have the power of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That only happens <clears throat> with effort and intentionality in your walk with Christ. Therefore, may we, by God's grace, be a church that is committed to pursuing maturity in Christ together so that all of us can experience the depths of the glories of the truth of God's word so that we all may be able to experience the joy and benefits of discipling others in the faith and so that we will together be protected from false teaching that seeks to lead us away from our greatest. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this warning that you have given us this morning. Father, I pray that all of us will be challenged this morning to pursue maturity, to not allow ourselves to, to become dull of hearing as these Hebrew Christians have become, Father. I pray that you would protect us from the draw of sin that, that calls out to us on a daily basis and tempts us to pursue it instead of pursuing the truth of your word, instead of pursuing knowledge of who you are. Father, I pray that a deep, abiding, longing desire to know more and more of Christ would motivate us to put sin to death in our life because we can't imagine being cut off from knowing more of the glories of Jesus Christ. May that be the glorious goal of this church that protects us from sin, that we love Jesus so much that we can't imagine pursuing sin that would cut us off. So that we can help each other, so that we can disciple other brothers and sisters in the faith, so that we can grow together in the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that we would encourage one another as long as it is called today, that we would stir up one another to love and good works, that we would, by the power of your Spirit, Father, uh, pursue the spiritual discipline so that none of us would be led astray by false teaching that is so prevalent in our world today on the internet and other places. Give us the power, Father, we pray to discern between good and evil, truth and lies. Father, I pray that you would accomplish all of these things in us and among us for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.